0: Hello, this is Pastor Galen from the First Nazarene Church in Chicago, and welcome to our podcast. Hey, before we hear the message today, I simply wanted to say that no matter where you're at, we're glad that you're listening today. We hope this message will inspire you, instruct you, and help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And if you live in the Chicagoland area, maybe this is the first step for you joining us in person sometime. Or if you want to, you can always check out our online live services every Sunday on our website at firstnaz.cc. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy the message. Well today, uh, if you're new to our church, I'd love to share the message with you. Uh, We're in the second week of this month of October, looking at our families and our family relationships and learning as followers of Jesus, how do we live in relationship with our family? Uh, One thing we recognize is family can be amazing. It can be the safe place where we experience love. And family, if you've spent any time living in relationship with your family, can be hard and difficult and exhausting. Have a family, they said. It will be fun, they said. Let's have kids so we can clean the house every night and we can do it again tomorrow. Let's have kids so we can have goldfish that will live for an eternity in our minivan. It doesn't matter how many times you clean it, there will always be another goldfish in your van. Uh, Children teach us the wonderful life lessons like the difference between a marker and a permanent marker. That when you have the five seconds of terror, when you're wondering which is it that is all over the wall or all over them. Um, Yes, or maybe if your kids are a little bit older, let's get married and have kids. So instead of relaxing every weeknight, we can run in between seven different practices and relearn algebra. Wonderful. As we teach them, someone is pumped about algebra today. I love it. Family. No one will make you smile like family. No one will make you laugh, like family. No one can be present with you in the way that family can. No one can make you feel loved the way that family can. Because of that, no one will make you cry, like family. No one can make you grieve, like family. No one's absence can be felt, like family. And no one can break your heart, like family. Family is often the people that we shared the most life with, and then because of that, they have the greatest capacity to love us and to hurt us. Today, as we look at family, I would ask you to ask the question, what is my mindset and how I relate to my family? Last week, if you were here, we talked about the difference between the ideal family that we read about in Scripture, and this is how God wants us to relate to our families, which we'll do again today, uh, versus the very real family, the messy and the broken And we're highlighting the ideal to say this is how God wants us to live in relationship with one another because at the end of the day, even if you can't control the different people in your family, what you can control is you and how you interact and respond to your family. So today, with what mindset do you approach your family, or phrase differently, who are you in this relationship for? Today I want to look at Philippians chapter 2 as our main passage. If you have your Bible, you can leave it open there. Uh, just starting in verse 1, Philippians 2. If you have the First Naz app, you can click on a Bible and it will take you straight there. Paul, the author, is writing to this church. He's saying this, You have made the decision of baptism. You've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He's forgiven you of your sins and now you're learning what it looks like to live in love with God and to serve others. This then is how I want you to live in relationship with one another. He says, Therefore, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort of his love, any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, and being in one spirit and of one mind. He's saying, listen. If you've received anything from Jesus, if you've received his love, his tender compassion, his mercy, the joy that God gives you, if you've received anything, then make my joy complete. Listen, as you live with one another, live with the same mind. And then he says this, and this is our verse for the day. One of the very first Bible verses that I memorized, and maybe you would too, Philippians 2, verses three through five. How do we live? He says this, do nothing, he says nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition, or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking out to your own interests, what's in it for me, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mind, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He's writing to the church and saying, listen, As you live with one another, this is how you must live. None of you approaching your relationships with one another with the mindset, what's in it for me? I'm in here for me today. What can I receive? What can I get out of this relationship? How will this benefit me? Do not live this way. As followers of Jesus, in humility, value that other person as better than yourself. Look out to their interest and immediately ask that question, well, what about me? They are to live valuing your interests. And so we live in relationship with one another, putting one another above ourselves, looking out for them. And then he says this, in those relationships have the same mindset as Christ. What did Jesus do for us? The scripture would go on, he says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, would not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. So Jesus, who is God, who has all power, authority, help create everything that there is, does not use that to his advantage. Yet he puts his power, his position, his status, his authority to the side and takes on the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness is what it says. He becomes like us. Why would he do this? He humbles himself to become obedient even to the point of death so that he would die for our sins, so that we could be made right with God. The way of Jesus, we think about Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. The way of Jesus is to live your life pouring out yourself for the good of others. When we look at our families, how do we look at those relationships? Do we follow Jesus in this way? Maybe instead of following another word for it that Ephesians chapter 5 uses, it begins like this, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice, a pleasing aroma to God. This first line there, imitate God as children. How many of you have had kids that will imitate what you do? The way you walk, they start to walk like that. The way you talk, they start repeating everything you say. There's no warning for that. I remember being in the kitchen one day and my wife said something. I was like, Oh, shoot. And from the other room, I hear, oh, shoot. I'm like, what? They imitate, they repeat, they model. What we, what we do, what we model, they end up doing. My two girls um, are six and three, and in this little stage, they want to be like mommy and want to be like daddy, no matter what it is. Just this week, um, my wife had literally just cleaned the closet, and Shiloh goes in there, the three-year-old, and she comes out with a big old hat, Maybe the one she's got on today. Big old hat, same hat. She's got this dress on that's just hanging off her. She's got a scarf wrapped around her neck, heels that are three times the size, way too big. And she walks out the stumbling, almost breaking a heel, walks in and goes, Look, I'm a mommy. <laughs> I want to be like mommy or Lillian will do the same thing, and it's not just with mom, but even with me. If dad's got a work project, they want to do it with me. If dad goes camping, then they want to go camping with me, uh, and it's played out in our life. You could see, so we have to learn how to do work projects together, the hammer, and then we've only hit a couple fingers, and then camping, which was funny. I set up the tent in the yard. and I was like, let's go camp, girls. You know, I want to be like daddy. I want to camp. I want to sleep outside, and as a parent, I'm like, at some point, we're going to get up and go inside in the night. So, like, let's just call early. Girls, it's been fun to, like, camp out. Let's go inside. No, Dad, we want to be like you. We want to sleep all night. Look, we're sleeping. <sighs> and you can tell, because look at Shiloh. No kid sleeps with that kind of smile on their face. Dad, I'm sleeping. I'm sleeping. No. Dad, I want to be like you. Children. It says, imitate God as his dear children. How does God work? How does God love. We have the example of Jesus who lays down his life, but if, if you don't mind, we'll go a little bit theological for a moment, and then go practical. I think one thing that we need to look at and realize as Christians, this God that we love and serve, the God himself, the God we believe in, is the Trinity, who is Father, Son, and Spirit, three, but one as well. How does God even relate within himself, You see this father out of love creating everything that we see. Why? So that he can share who he is, his divine essence, his love with the world. And he creates this humanity, and for love to exist, there must be free will. And when we use our free will to bring about what the Bible calls sin, living not according to how God would want us to, it brings about death and chaos and destruction into the world. But because of God's great love, he doesn't leave us as we are. But he sends his son to come and die for us so that we might have a life with him. And as the son, as Jesus is living here among us, how does he do it? He lives his life to serve others. Not to be served, but to serve others and be a ransom for many. Healing and practicing compassion and mercy and justice in the world. And he doesn't do it for himself. He points back to the Father. No, I'm not in this for me. Look how good God is. He does this in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he sends the Holy Spirit into the world. That we would know God and the Spirit's work is to woo us, to help us see who God is and bring us back in right relationship to him. But the Spirit doesn't want credit for it either. He says, look at this Jesus who has died for you out of love, who's then pointing glory back to the Father, and the Father's saying, look, I'm sending my spirit into the world. God, in his divine essence and nature, is loving and giving away, even within relationship within himself. So when we look at communities, friendships, family, we still then there have the picture of how to love one another if we each would lay down our life and hold up the other and point to the good of the other, if all of us do this together, this is the way that we have been called to live. This is the God of love. This is full of love for one another. This is how we're supposed to live. You know, I think um, the practical side, as we live, I think sometimes in our faith, we tell our kids what to believe. Yeah, I want to, even the things we've said. I want to love people, I want to lay down my life. I would ask us, parents, grandparents, how often do your kids see you practicing the things of faith? Not just hearing you say, yeah, I believe in God, or we go to church. See, I came to the realization this week, oftentimes as we practice our faith, it becomes very private. And I don't think faith is meant to be private, it is meant to be personal. This is between me and God, and you will give an account before God for your own life. It's personal but not always necessarily private. I thought about my own life and I even got a little convicted most of the time. I'll wake up before the, anyone in the house wakes up and there is nothing quieter than a dad trying not to wake up his children. You do, you do the tiptoe dance, you go down the stairs like this, don't wake up please, quiet time. I get down there and I read my Bible and I pray for my family and, and I recognize that even these things I'm doing, they're, they're private. No one else in my family sees me doing them and even to the point where um, two weeks ago, I thought I was quiet. I was down there. I was praying, and I hear this <laughs> Lillian had woke up like an hour earlier than she normally does, and she's coming down the stairs. I'm a terrible father in that moment. I was like, oh, we just go back to bed so I can pray for you? I want this quiet time. <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, now I'm interrupted. Now we're going to start the day." I felt like God was tapping on my heart to say, what if this is not just for you? Where is she going to learn to do the same thing? So, Lillian, come up in my lap. What are you doing, Dad? Why are you just sitting in a chair? I said, Well, this is where I read my Bible and I pray. Would you pray with me? What do you want to pray for? Parents and grandparents, when you ask your kids to pray, this is just me, don't correct them. Let them pray for anything and everything they want. If they get so focused on praying the right things, then we lose relationship with the one that we're praying to. For when your four year old is sitting in your lap and you ask them, How was your day? Half the time, their thoughts that they're sharing are incoherent anyway. Is the point about them sharing about their day, or is the point sitting in the lap of the parent who loves them and sharing? Teach them to pray. Do it with them. Let them catch you doing the things of faith. I remember waking up and coming upstairs and my mom kneeling at the couch praying. I remember walking through the living room and seeing my dad's Bible open next to his chair. Let them catch you doing the things of faith. And not just the things of faith, but modeling healthy relationships. you had that moment where you uh, have a disagreement, let's call it that, and then you say, not in front of the kids, not in front of the kids, and we can talk about it later, that's fair, That's actually a good practice as long as you do come back and talk about it, I would say this, when you do, and when you would arrive at a way forward, if there's reconciliation, if there's forgiveness, you've found a way forward, Practice that again in front of your kids. Let them see, yes, we have a healthy disagreement. Let them also see, hey, and we found out, we're gonna show them how we talk about it. We're gonna show them how we forgive. We're gonna hug one another, we're gonna kiss one another, and they will see modeling a better way forward. Let them catch you doing the things that you should be doing. Even for parents, I would just say this. We can see this through the different natural stages of parenting. First comes nurturing. When you have a little baby from the point of conception until uh, they're ready, running, walking around, most of life is nurturing. You're holding, you're loving, you're sharing that love with them. But quickly after nurturing comes discipline. Go to the next one and discipline. Where all of a sudden this is the toddler phase. Is like, no, do not touch the stove. It's warm. No, take your tongue out of the electrical socket. Yes, no, discipline, boundaries. Boundaries are helpful. And then it goes from discipline to Training. Hey, this is how we relate with that. When you meet your teacher, it's going to be yes and thank you and please and we're kind to other people. Don't punch that kid at recess. We interact kindly. You train them how to live. And training then moves into coaching. Maybe into the teenage years, you think of a coach who calls a play and the player goes and runs it and then comes back to the coach again. Where you're practicing more inner, uh, independence within your family and they're living more. Maybe the most difficult stage of parenting. How can I be a coach and come back, and we have still good relationship, and then moving from coaching on into friendship. Once they mature into adulthood, and then you can enjoy friendship for the rest of life. Two quick thoughts on this. First of all, parents, recognize the stage that you are in with your family. Go back one. Recognize the stage that you are in with your family. Maybe, I didn't put numbers on these because it's different at different times, But how do we shift and see that our child is maturing and growing? If you have a young kid and you're used to discipline, it can be hard to shift into training or even coaching as a teenager. You find yourself still coming hard down on discipline. How do you shift your mindset to become a coach? Or the opposite, when your kid needs discipline, but you're only still nurturing. How do we live in the moment and parent in the moment we are in? God, give us wisdom and help us. But secondly, for each and every one of us, even if you're not a parent, I want you to see this. What this tells me about a God who would create family in different stages. I wonder in our faith if God as a parent interacts with us differently at different stages. Maybe for some of you, well, 20 years ago, I heard from God, I encountered God in this way, and it was just so sweet, and I've been missing that in my life, and it's not a bad thing, but then our mindset becomes, well, if I could just go back there or duplicate or replicate those things that happened, then I would feel close to God again. Yet even if you do that, oftentimes, well, it's different. What if God changes how he interacts with us because as it is for children, he wants us to mature and grow into an adult mature faith? So our posture is, God, I don't know what you're doing in this season. I don't know why you're doing this. It feels like you're different or distant. But teach me what I need to in this phase, to know you more. As we live practically with our family, if you want to get a practical list, here it is. From Colossians, it says this. Since God chose you to be a holy people, he loves the church. You must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Now look at that in the lens of family. With your family, can you practice mercy? This is compassion for someone. When you have every right to drop the hammer, they did what they knew they shouldn't do, and you can stand there and punish them. What does it look like to practice mercy? Mercy Or kindness? to be friendly and considerate of your siblings, your parents, your children, to be gentle with them, to be tender with them. Not only that, but patient. Why is it that the people that we live in the closest proximity with, the people that we become the most familiar with, are the people that we lose it on the fastest? The people that love us are the most are the ones that we cut down the fastest. To practice patience, the capacity to accept or tolerate delay or trouble or suffering without getting angry or upset. And then this line, make allowance for each other's faults. Make room. Listen, your spouse is going to tell that story wrong and remember it wrong and share it with your friend wrong. Your kid is going to mess up. Teenagers, your parents will mess up. They're not perfect and they're figuring this out too. What does it look like to know that that's going to happen and make room for it? I knew that was going to happen, and that's okay. So before I get angry in the moment, I can choose to practice patience, mercy, forgiveness. And it ends with forgive anyone who would offend you. To forgive is to stop feeling angry or resentful towards them for that offense, flaw, or mistake. You know, Pastor Galen, how do I live that way with my family? Have you seen my family? Our home is not one of humility and mercy and forgiveness. How do we do this? He goes on and says this, and this is important. Remember that the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And then above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Here's how we live with our family. Eyes up here so that we can love here. Do you remember when God was merciful with you? Be merciful with them. Do you remember how God's kindness was shown towards you when he didn't have to? Be kind to them. Do you remember how God was patient with you when you just kept messing up? Be patient with them. Do you remember how God forgave you when you did not deserve it? Forgive them. Eyes up here so we can love here with our family. Eyes on Jesus. And practice the pause. When you want to react, when you want to tell your teenager, teenagers, when you want to tell your parents, when you want to yell at your sibling, pause. Scientific and neurology would even say, if you take one second to breathe, that oxygen in your brain helps you process more clearly. But also what it does as a Christian is give room for God's spirit in our conscience to speak to us. You see, we believe if the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us, let me ask you, how does God change and transform your relationships? Some of us are like hoping we'd walk into church and God would like, bam, lightning bolt, and now all of a sudden I can love my family. So how does he do it if that's not it? God's spirit living within us begins to work in and through our conscience, speaking little thoughts to us that are good and loving and kind and true and compassionate. When we obey them, we begin to interact differently and God changes us. As a Christian comedian, Michael Jr. said this week, you know, I've heard a lot of names for God there's God, there's Yahweh, Jehovah, Jireh, there's all these names for God. I I heard another name for God. It's called something, S-O-M-E-T-H-I-N-G, something. I said, what do you mean that's not a name for God? That's not in the Bible. And he goes, because I have heard people time and time again say, I knew I was about to do that bad thing I was going to do, and then I did it anyway, and then I felt bad, and then I said the words, something told me not to do that. What if the spirit living within us was working in and through your conscience that we needed to pause for just a moment? Don't say that. Ask for forgiveness for what you just said. It's not okay. Tell him you're sorry. Maybe instead you should say this. Pause, listen, then act obediently to it. Ultimately, why would God give us family? God could have given any societal structure he wanted to. He could have made each one of us rugged individuals, no family, just you on your own. Why family? I think God gives us the gift of childhood to learn how to be provided for, to learn that there is one who loves us, who will care for us and provide all that we need. God gives the gift of parenthood so that we can learn unconditional love. No matter what you do, I still love you, so that we can begin to learn how God looks at us. God gives us marriage, why? I heard one preacher say, God does not give you marriage to make you happy. Oh, I'm just going to find my soulmate, and then we're going to be the happiest we've ever been for the rest of our life, and we're going to smile at each other every day, and you've been married for 20 seconds, and that's cute. Um, God does, happy, marriage does bring us happiness, but God does not give us marriage to make us happy. As the preacher said, God gives us marriage to make us holy. Or in churchy language, nothing will sanctify you more than your marriage, Because when you live day in, day out with the same person, yes, you will love them, you will experience love differently, but also, it will bring up things within you. You will never realize how selfish you were, how much you preferred your own way, how much you wanted to have the last say. What if marriage is meant to bring those things to the surface so that God could address them and begin to change us into who he wants us to be? Husbands, wives, the words for you of how to live, Ephesians 5 says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. When Paul is writing and he says, husbands, wives, this is how you should live with one another, this entire next phrase that he's about to say is blanketed in this principle, wives, husbands, submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Oh, really, Pastor Galen? It's 2023. You're really going to say that? Sure. Well, we as a people look at Scripture first and then our culture. We don't look at our culture and then look through Scripture. When we do that, that is the first step of living away from Orthodox Christianity. We look at Scripture first and then understand the context. These words, which have been pulled out and just used by themselves many times to hurt, are blanketed within, yes, wives, but also both of you submit. Because then he goes on. For husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life. This love isn't this Nicholas Sparks and doves flying and all love and a great feeling. Love as Jesus did. What did Jesus do? Jesus died for the sake of the church. I actually think the call to husbands may be stronger. Listen, lay down your life for your wife. Do everything. Lay down your life for her. Now, again, blanketed, both of you submit to one another. Because what you find is if you have a husband or a wife who is loving you in this way, it is so much easier to love them in return. What about me? What about my interests? What about my own way? What about what I want? Well, if she's looking out for those, for you, you can do the same for her, and you are both taken care of. What does this look like? My, br- my brain went to Romans 12, 10. It says this, outdo one another and showing honor. Let me ask you, are there any competitive people in the room? Competitive people? A lot of the teenagers. Anybody else competitive? Wonderful. Afterwards, if you raise your hand, we're going to meet in the gym. We're going to have a competition, and I will beat you in that. It's going to be awesome. We can be competitive together. If you're competitive, hear this. This is the only time in Scripture I see this word, outdo one another. Outdo somebody. Compete with him. Husbands, wives, you're in a competition this week, but do not tell your spouse, okay? This is for you. Don't tell them, but you're in a competition, and you should win. Outdo them in showing honor. What do you mean by honor? Uh, Honor means to regard someone with great respect, esteem, or admiration. The easiest way I can think of it, I'm from Kansas. I've been a Chiefs fan my whole life, and now all of a sudden, everybody's a Chiefs fan because Taylor Swift shows up at the game. Because when we look at Taylor Swift, it's with respect, esteem, admiration. Oh my goodness, it's Taylor. Is she there? Is she there? We don't need 15 cutscenes. Yes, we know she's there. Do you remember when you used to look at your spouse? Oh, it's her. I can't believe it's her. She chose me. We get to hang out tonight. Oh my goodness. Look at one another with honor. And then the second definition of honor to fulfill an obligation or keep an agreement, as in, I will honor my word. If you got married, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. Honor your words and practice it. Young people or those that are not married, why is this important? You may not think this is for you. If you marry someone who's not a Christian, their default is to think of themselves. If you marry someone who is a Christian, they're not perfect, but they're learning how to put Jesus first, which means they will serve you first. So in a Christian marriage, you're both serving one another which is why this matters. Practically, here's what I want you to do. Outdo one another in honor. Women, listen to me, this week, go home. When he comes home, make his favorite food for dinner. Afterward, lead him into the the living room where you have already turned on the game. Make him some popcorn. You say, you can watch the game. I'm gonna be quiet for a little bit, actually. You enjoy this, okay? I'll rub your feet. No, it's too far, feet are gross. I'll rub your bag. (laughs) It's going to be great. Husbands, when you get home, make your wife her favorite dinner. Forget it. We both know you can't cook. Order out her favorite meal. Get it delivered. Turn off the game. Look in her eyes. Listen. Ask questions. Practice her favorite love language, not yours. You know what every woman's favorite love language is? Vacuuming. Go clean the house. She'll love it take care of her, start the bubble bath, put her needs first, outdo one another. How much easier is it to love that person when you both do it for one another? What if in our marriages we stopped tearing each other down, bickering, complaining, grumbling, correcting, and instead we practiced the pause, we chose kindness again. We outdid one another in honor and in love, preferring the other above ourselves. For all of us today. Listen, do nothing, nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, value others above yourself, not looking out to your interest, but for the sake of others. If we can live in marriages like this, we can live in families like this, then society turns like this, and then the world is as it should be. But it starts in the family. The mindset shift, who am I in this for? If I'm in it for him, then I'm in it for them. And if I'm in it for him, that means I will lay down my life. Let them catch you. Practice the pause. Today, I thought about ending the message here. Go and live this way. And you should. Do it practically. Outdo one another in love. But as we move to close, I was preparing this week. I felt like God just shifted my heart. Begin to think about some of you and your families. Because we all have family. We all have a heavy burden for family. If I asked you today, how can I pray for your family? Almost immediately, a situation or a person comes to mind. So what I wanted to do to end our service today is to give time and space to pray. Because you can go home and live these things out practically, and you should. Do you know what we need in our families? It's a move of God. Because you can control you. But maybe we would pray that God could begin to transform their heart that God would turn their heart back to Him for our kids, for our grandkids, that God could mend relationships and begin to heal our families. Things that we cannot do, we have to put at the foot of God and say, God, do what only you can do and do it for my family. So as we pray, I encourage you to pray and do whatever you feel like God has called you to do. For some of you, maybe it means pulling out your phone and texting and saying, I'm sorry maybe don't even ask for forgiveness because then they might feel obligated just say i'm sorry some of you maybe text someone you haven't talked to in a long time i know it's been a while i know things are rough so i'll let you know i love you i'm praying for you today some of you are sitting next to your spouse and things are rocky hold their hand pray that god would heal your marriage some of you are with your family just link arms with your family God, help us to follow you. If you wanna pray at the altars, you can do that. If you wanna pray in your seats, I want to be quiet so that you can call out to God for your family. Let's pray together. Bow your heads, close your eyes. God, in these mixed moments, we call out to you. Come and do what only you can do in our families. We take our hurt and our brokenness and the weight and the burden and put it at your feet. God, would you heal? Would you restore marriages? Would you mend relationships? Would you call sons and daughters and grandchildren back home to you? Would you help us all to follow you? Spend these next few moments praying for your family and then receive this blessing over your family. Let's pray together. And hey, thanks again for joining us for the first NAS podcast. If you're interested in what your next step in growing your relationship with God might look like, I'd encourage you to visit us at firstnaz.cc engage, or you can download our app from the app store, First Nazarene Church. And there you can let us know if you've made a decision for Jesus, or you can also find practical resources to help you grow closer to Jesus. I'd also invite you to subscribe to the podcast if you're not already to make sure that you've always got the latest content. And if you want to, feel free to share this on your social accounts. You never know who else might need to hear today's message as well. Well, thanks again for joining us. Have a great day.